Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's turn in our Bibles today to Luke chapter 2. And uh, I'll share with you, uh, I went off on a little bit of a tangent this morning outside in our outside service, but I, w- I want to share this with you too, because it's really been on my heart. You know, when we were studying, if you were with us uh, before we began the study of Luke, back when life seemed to be very normal, uh, we were studying the book of Revelation. And I told you guys, it was amazing how those studies were lining up to the same day and the same events to when I taught it 12 years earlier. And and I just came to the conclusion as we moved through the book of Revelation that it was no accident that we were in that book, which speaks of future things to us in the time we were looking at it. But I'm also going to tell you, I think it's no accident that we're now looking at the Gospel of Luke in the timing of which we're now looking at it. And I say this for this reason. Well, I think it's important that we understand the events that are coming. The events that the book of Revelation tells us about are going to come upon our world one day. We don't know the day or when those things will begin to unfold. And I believe in a lot of ways we're seeing some of the things, oh, not the the, the judgments being poured out yet, but we're, we see the rumblings of things. You know, we see things in our world that's that's happening that reminds us that we're moving into this period of history called the last days. In fact, we're well into the period of history known as the last days. We haven't just started what's known as the tribulation yet. And those of us in Christ won't be here for that. I believe that very firmly. We will be removed in an event called the rapture of the church. We'll be gone. But the book of Revelation focused on us on things to come. But I think that the book and the gospel that we're looking at right now of Luke focuses on what our calling and our mission is right now as we wait for that day. We need to know both. We never focus on future events, but at the same time, we can't get so focused on future events that we miss what we're here to do now, where our focus should be right now. And I just want to encourage you guys that as we see things happening in our world, keep your eye on the ball of what God has for you to be doing in this time. Yeah, I mean, it's not that we're to ignore uh, the, the prophetic events as we see them lining up, but at the same time, our primary mission is to share the hope that the gospel holds for all of mankind. We're here to share hope with people, not just the judgments that are going to wait, man. We want to get to people with a hope of the gospel so that they don't have to face God's judgment. You know, I, 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 and I don't know how many of you guys have been tuning into some things this week, but you know, those of you who've been following along uh, a lot of the news and stuff like that, this week, uh, this past week, uh, a commentator on CNN by the name of Don Lemon made a, a statement that just, as I said in a post last night, has made Christian heads explode, but basically was talking about statues. And, he, and this is not a political bent, so don't think I'm going there. I'm not. But he was talking about statues and how we're deifying statues. And then he made the statement basically saying that even when Jesus was here, Jesus wasn't perfect and, and, and we shouldn't be deifying people. And I understand that that just makes our heads go boom. But I have to tell you, honestly, my response to that was very different than a lot of people, I think, because I was moved by grief. I was absolutely saddened 
when I heard that statement. Because one, it tells me that he doesn't know who Jesus is. Or if he does, he's rejecting him, and both are going to lead to the same end. And I thought to myself how important it is for us as believers to proclaim the good news of Jesus, what he's about to this world now while there's still time. And I want to emphasize that while there is still time, the day will come when there will be no more time that will be gone. The, The presence of the church in this world will no longer be here. You and I are not here to point fingers at people who say stupid things and say things that are insulting to us based on what we believe in the scriptures. Our hearts are to be here to share the gospel as loudly and as clearly as we can to people of who Jesus is. Some people simply don't know. I don't know this man's heart. I don't know whether it's just that he's rejecting Jesus or he just doesn't know the Jesus for who Scripture declares him to be. But either way, it's leading to a bad end for him. So who will go? Who will share the gospel Instead of throwing rocks, who will share the gospel? See, that's our call. And, and I think that we've got to be very careful in this time in which we're living. When, when all of our stress levels are through the ceiling, so as it is, from all the anxieties associated with this period that we're now living through, that we don't become cold-hearted. You and I are here for this such a time as this to share the gospel. But to share the gospel, we need to know the gospel. And I, I know that as Christians we say we do know the gospel, but do you know the gospel? Do you know why Jesus had to be sinless? Do you understand the things that we're now studying through the book of Luke about him? Do you understand why the things are what they are? Why he is who these scriptures that we're studying declare him to be? See, this is an important time for us as we dig into the Gospels, because this is you and I getting to know these things well so that we can go share them with others, because this is the only hope that mankind has, the hope of the Gospel. And you and I are living in this period of history, and we can't lose sight of the fact of why we're here. We're here to share the good news, the hope of the gospel that has blessed each and every one of our lives so richly if you've placed your faith in Christ, so that others could come to know him as well. And so this morning, I I pray that as we begin this study, that you will be thinking about that, that you'll be understanding that, that God wants you to know this so that you can share it with others. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but let's go to, to Luke chapter 2. Let's read for context. We'll begin in verse 8, and then we're going to pick up this morning in our study in verse 20, 21. So we'll read a little bit past that just for context, and then we'll pray again and we'll get started here. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Peace, goodwill toward men. God's blessing of the gospel of Jesus. Peace, goodwill towards men shown by God himself. Sorry, that's not in your scriptures, but I just had to say that. And so it was when the angel said, Gone away. From them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you, Lord, for the hope that it gives to all of us. And Lord, as we undertake the study again this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to what it is that you're saying to us, what it is that you're going to teach us this morning. And Lord, let it be your voice speaking to us. Let it be you that is doing the teaching and not me. I pray this morning, Lord, though sometimes my words can can stumble about a bit, and yep, I've been known to say dumb things, that, Lord, you're able to work through that anyways. Lord, I thank you that you choose to work through um, through imperfect servants, and yet, Lord, it is just an amazing thing how you supernaturally even take our stumblings and, and you purify them in the hearing of the people, and I pray you'd do that today, that what we'd all hear today is your voice speaking to us again about the truths contained in the gospel, the hope found in the gospel, the joy, and Lord, the, the future that we see in it all. And so, Lord, now we just ask you to bless this study and lead us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We give you this time, we give you our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we all pray. God's people prayed everywhere. Amen. Well, look at verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so here, as we pick up on the account of the birth of Jesus, we, we find that just like Zacharias and Elizabeth did with their baby John, on the eighth day after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be circumcised. Now you're going to note that verse 22 tells us that this happened when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed. Now, I point that out to to to. Hopefully, if you don't know it already to get you to see that the timing of the event that's taking place here was in keeping with the law that was required for what was known as purification. And let me explain that a bit. According to Jewish law, a woman became ceremonially unclean when she gave birth to a child. Then, according to the law, on the eighth day, if it was a male child, he was to be taken and circumcised. Uh, We found that with John in chapter 1 and verse 59, and it's also referenced in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 12 that this was the requirement. But after that was done, the mother then was still considered to be ritually unclean for an additional 33-day period. Leviticus chapter 12 verses 1 through 5 is the specific law that governs that. And at the conclusion of this period, that 33-day period of time, the mother then offered a sacrifice, either a lamb, 
Or if she was poor, she could bring two doves or two young pigeons, according to Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And this is exactly what verse 24 here in our passage is making mention of when it says, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so she was to come and do this as the closing out of this purification ritual that she was to undergo. But but here's the question. Why is this a requirement of the law? You know, first of all, I know we look at the law and we see all of these provisions and praise the Lord, you and I are set free from the law, but that doesn't mean that the law doesn't have meaning to us. It does. And and we need to look at the law and study the law, and we need to understand what God was communicating through the law. And there's some very significant things that the Lord, in fact, one very significant thing that the Lord is 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 trying to communicate through this law of, of purification. This this law, this requirement was meant to be a reminder that all human beings are born in sin. And, 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 and as such, we are in need of cleansing, in need of cleansing. You see, the law required that a person who comes in contact with something sinful needed to be ritually cleansed and purified. There were other laws that dealt with that, that if they came in contact with a dead person, something dead, they had to be ritually cleansed and purified. And the requirement for the mother's cleansing after childbirth is simply a reminder that she too has come in contact with something sinful. Her baby. Her baby. It's a reminder that the child being born into this world, coming into this world, is coming into this world as a sinfully fallen human being. It's the truth that David recognized about himself. In Psalm 51, verse 5, Psalm 51, verse 5, David said this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceive me. David says that his sinful condition not only began at the moment of birth when he was brought forth in iniquity, but it actually happened at the moment of conception that he was conceived in sin. In other words, sin, he recognized that sin was resident in him even before he left the womb, even before leaving the womb. It's the truth that Paul declares in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Paul declares, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. All sinned. You see, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that sin, which began with Adam, has spread to the whole world. And and how does that happen? It happens as sin is passed down from person to person as people are born into this world. More sin comes into this world each and every time a human being is born into this world because sin is a part of the human condition, even at conception and at birth. In fact, Job chapter 14 and verse 4, Job declares, Job 14, 4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Do you get what he's saying? I mean, he couldn't be clearer than that. In other words, he's saying, we're all sinfully unclean. Therefore, we can't produce anything clean. Therefore, nothing clean can come from us. You see, it's, it's inevitable. Sin that began in the garden, it, it's hereditary. It's hereditary in a sense. It's passed down from person to person. Sin is the makeup of, of a human being at the very moment of conception. 
But with that said, always keep in mind that sin in a person's life isn't the fault of those who passed it down to them. Any more than developing cancer is the fault of your parents. If you get cancer, it's simply a genetic predisposition. And as such, we can't, we can't pass the blame of our sin to anyone. We can't look to our parents and blame them for our condition of sin. We can't blame our grandparents for our condition of sin. It's just something that began with human beings in the garden to which we as human beings are predisposed to and inherit. Just as Paul declared in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which I just read to you, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. It's simply the human condition that we all suffer from. It's our human condition, and we all suffer from it. So little baby Jane, little baby Billy, whatever, you know, might be cute, might be cuddly when they come into this world, but they're not clean. Not in the spiritual sense. They are not clean. They, they enter the world as sinners, just as their dad and mom entered the world as sinners, and, and, and their grandparents, and their great-grandparents, and their great-great-grandparents, and, and their great-great-great-great-grandparents, all the way back the family line to Adam and Eve in the garden. And so even though they might be cute, and they might be cuddly, and they might be fun to hold, man, do I miss my grandkids. <laughs> I miss them terribly. Can't wait to hold them all. You know, now some are getting a little bit to hold. Max hasn't yet. You know, I just saw Max the other day in a socially distancing setting. But man, all I want to do is pick that little guy up because he is so cute and hold him and hug him. But listen, I understand that as cute and cuddly and wonderful as he is, he, like all of us, is, is just a little sinner at heart. Just a little sinner at heart. Now, think about this for a minute. I think you'll understand the reality of this. I mean, who teaches a baby to be selfish and, and to do sinfully selfish things? I mean, think about how self-centered a baby is from the very moment of birth. Wah! Pay attention to me. Wah! Wah! Meet my needs. Wah! Give me this. Give me that. Wah! And, and by the time they're paddling around the house, they've already figured out how to sin in ways that, that really are quite advanced compared to their age. I mean, considering the age. Don't you touch that, Billy. I said, don't touch that. Crash, down it goes. I told you not to touch that. <laughs> it's in us. It, no, nobody has to teach it to us. It's in us, you see. Now, I, I know, and I understand that this idea is hard for some people to reconcile and to accept because it flies against everything we, we've been taught and we grow up believing. You know, the, the world says that people are born inherently good and, and, and that some people just end up getting corrupted along the way. And, and, and even those that get corrupted, they're still good in them if we can just somehow connect with them in some way appealing to the goodness in them, then, then everything, they're going to turn out okay if we can just do that because down at the core, the very core, we're good at heart. You know, I believe that's what's driving a lot of what we're seeing today behind all sorts of movements in our own society here in America. The idea of defunding and demantling police movements that we see going on today. There are people who sincerely believe that people are inherently good, even if they act in bad ways, even the worst among us. And, and that if we can just create the right environment, the good will emerge. 
I mentioned before, and you guys probably know it, but it was a year or two ago that couple that just believed that philosophy, they decided to bike across territory that was controlled by ISIS. Guess what? They didn't get to reason with them because ISIS killed them. Look, there is nothing further from the truth than this kind of thinking, you see. That kind of thinking is nothing more than, than humanistic thinking that's designed by inherently sinful men and women that flies against the very truth about human beings that God has already declared to us in, in his word, in scripture. I mean, do we want to believe the word of fallen human beings or do we want to believe the word of God himself? You see, the truth the Bible declares is that none of us are born inherently good. Not a one of us. The truth that the Bible declares is that we're all brought forth in iniquity, just as, as, as we're being shown here in the law, just as David understood, just as Job knew, just as Paul talked about. We're brought forth in iniquity. The truth the Bible declares is that we're all conceived in sin. The, the, the truth the Bible declares is that all human beings have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth that the Bible declares is that there is none righteous, no, not one. You know, that was a tough one for me growing up because I was that, you know, from a kid point of view, I was the perfect little kid. Mom had the little pompadour hair with the brill cream and the white shirt and the bow tie. I never got dirty, didn't get dirt under my nails. They paddled me off to Sunday school every week. I was an acolyte as I was growing up. I did all of these things, and I was a good kid. And I began to believe this about myself, that somehow I'm righteous, that I'm righteous. And it was the hardest part for me of receiving the gospel to recognize the fact that the Bible says it's just not true. I might be doing some righteous things, but at the very core of who I am, I am not righteous. And I had to accept that truth because apart from accepting that truth, I have no need of a savior, you see. But I came to that place where I recognized that the Bible says none are righteous, even the best among us. None are righteous. No, not one. The truth, the Bible declares, is that our throats are an open tomb and that with our tongue we practice deceit. The, the truth, the Bible declares, is that we have the poison of asps under our lips. The truth is that the Bible declares that our feet are swift to shed blood. Boy, you just need to look at the world today to know that one's true. The truth, the Bible declares, is that misery and destruction are in our ways and we don't know the way of peace. Truth, the Bible declares, is that there is no fear of God before any of our eyes. Truth, the Bible declares, is that none of this, none of it, this wrong behavior, none of it is learned behavior or the result of, of corruption from being misled or, or being misunderstood or from growing up in the wrong environment or being in the wrong environment. The truth, the Bible declares, is that we were conceived in sin and born sinners, even the best of us. The truth, the Bible declares, is that the only hope, and there is hope, the only hope we have for overcoming our sinful condition is through Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sin so that he could thoroughly cleanse us of it and create in us something different than we are by nature, changing us from the inside out, creating something in us that we are inherently not. But only he can do that. And that's the hope of the gospel that I began with today talking about. That's the hope that you and I are to declare to people so that they would understand that. 
But do you get that? Look at the worldview and now look at the Bible's view. I hope you understand. And so this simple ritual required by the law, whereby the mother had to undergo a cleansing process upon giving birth, was intended to be a continual reminder of mankind's sinfully polluted condition and, and to point to the need for a greater cleansing that would one day be offered to all of mankind through the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, even Mary, even Mary, even though Mary was going to give birth and has given birth to the sinless Jesus, and he is the only one that's sinless at birth, and even though she's giving birth to the sinless Jesus, still had to be reminded through this ritual of the human condition. She had to be reminded that she had given birth, even though he was the sinless Savior who would offer cleansing, that she was going to need that cleansing from him as well. She had to have this ritual to remind her that she needed to be cleansed, not by the the water required by the law, not by the rituals required by the law, but by the very one she had given birth to. And to all of us, it's exactly the same. We need this cleansing that comes, this purification that comes only through Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.